Hello and welcome to another episode of Storytelling with Seth. This is actually episode number 83, and I was lucky enough this time around to, in a matter of days, be connected with the creators of an amazing comic book series known as Space Bastards. Great thing about Space Bastards, well, it's an amazing story with great art, and I got the chance to sit down with Eric Peterson and Joe Aubrey, the creators and writers behind this really fun comic book about the Intergalactic Postal Service. Intrigued? You should be. Join me now as I get the chance to delve into the first issue, explore so many of the elements that they have created in this futuristic and fantastic universe, and what might be in store. Not only that, but stay tuned to the end because we talk about this great Kickstarter program that is launching on the first day this episode is being released. That's correct, January 18th. It's a Kickstarter for Space Bandits and your opportunity to consider reading the book in more than one format. Trust me, you'll understand by the time you get to the interview. Look forward to hearing your thoughts on this one. For now, without any further ado, let us dive into Space Bastards with Eric Peterson and Joe Aubrey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Storytelling with Seth. I am lucky enough to put together in very short time a uh, conversation I've been looking to from the moment I picked up a book I was previously unaware of known as Space Bastards. Here to tell me just a little bit more about it and maybe answer a few questions that I have and I can imagine any reader or listener might have as well. I'm lucky enough to be joined by Eric Peterson and Joe Aubrey. Gentlemen, how are you both? Doing great. Thank you for having us. Excellent. Thank you very much. Ah, it, it's my pleasure. I want to go ahead and just give a quick credit to my good friend, Tony Farina, who introduced me to Hannah. And it was Hannah who just moved this along the pipeline so quickly that within a matter of hours, barely days, we were able to uh, get me a copy, allow me to read over what I never expected to read, which is a story about an intergalactic postal service. And along the way... <laughs> see you guys do some amazing things like build a world and and show a character go through a pretty dramatic transformation in just one issue um who who came up with space bastards like just let's get right into that you know it's a great title but uh you know does one claim that was it just a conversation did someone come up with space and bastards or someone come up with bastards in space and then flip it you know who wants to start I don't know who really came up, but I don't remember who came up with the actual title itself. Um, I will say Space Bastards has been with us for a long time. Uh, Davey Proton, who's in, who you see in issue one, started as uh, doodles on my notebook in junior high uh, out of kind of just an excuse to do like more space adventures with like scoundrels and, and heists and, you know, that kind of that stuff that we just sort of got a glimpse of in Star Wars and all that. And then. Um, as I got older, I, I went to film school and rather than do kind of like the, the classic, like film school, short film, you know, of like a, a, dr a drug trip or like a deal gone wrong or, or all the normal tropes. Um, we built me and my, some, me and my friends like built spaceship sets in my backyard and my garage. And we, we filmed the adventures of Davy Proton, which eventually turned into space bastards. And it, and it was there making those films. 
Um, really, where in a way I met both of my co-creators. I met Joe in person, uh, and we became fast friends. And then also, too, around that same time, I was diving into Vertigo books, and I, I know for sure I was reading Transmetropolitan around that same time as well, and, and, and becoming familiar with Derek Robertson as a, as a creator and as an artist. Thank you for bringing him into that, uh, to this part of the conversation, because Transmetropolitan was one of those books that just, it was a lot of fun for me. I mean, it, it, it took a poke and a dive at every sort of future concept, um, you know. For me, there was just a great deal of consideration that I had afterwards for everything from cryogenics to all the topics and politics that that was, uh, you know, able to address in such sure. a really fun way. Um, so then, you know, David Proton, it sounds like, came out of this really fun or Davey, um, which I'm sure will be fun to talk a little bit about, too. Uh, it came out of these really great film projects, this this whole idea of this character and the space bastards and from that point, how then does one find a way to, to put them on the comic page? Well, the, the, you know, these videos, these movies we were making, you know, these short films, they never really um, met our, our expectations. We really could never make them um, into what we were really wanting. You know, we had good actors or sometimes we'd have decent special effects, but, uh, and sometimes the writing was okay, but it just never really congealed, you know, and, and we were really limited by time and having to have a huge crew or, you know, or, or a lot of people who were agreed to do this for nothing. And uh, at one point, Eric had, you know, had already made, he kind of dabbled in, in comics and made a couple of comics. And, and we kind of talked about it and thought, well, you know, we can uh, we can just we can just turn this into a comic book and maybe realize this in, in much better uh, that way. And um, that's when it, you know, sort of took off and we, we honed in on, on making it into a, into a uh, comic project um, and got Derek involved eventually. Yeah. Okay. So you had moved into comics a little bit, Eric. Tell me about, you know, just what that foray was like, uh, a title that, that people may or may not have heard of and, and what your experience was like informing how you could then use that to, to do Space Bastards. Sure. So um, I had started by doing like a one shot when I was pretty young, just to kind of like see if I could do it and printed like 100 copies and sold them and stuff just to kind of like get, you know, I've always been a comic book fan. I've been a screenwriter because I went through film school and everything, but and I worked in TV, but I, I, I didn't really know. I wanted to kind of like make sure I, I understood more about the, the, the whole process of working with an artist and all that. And then but really, I think my. My largest success before Space Bastards in the comic world was a comic book called Jesus Christ in the Name of the Gun, uh, which was like a three graphic novel series. Uh, the first volume, um, uh, I worked with Ethan Nicole from Axe Cop, and then uh, yeah. an artist named Ryan Cody on the second volume, and then an artist named Gabo on the final third volume. So the whole thing was like 400 pages. I learned quite a lot about production through that and, and kind of what I would not want to do again in terms of writing or, or, or like different pitfalls to kind of watch out for, even though that wasn't the first thing I wrote, it was definitely, I think the longest format comic I was kind of, uh, I had undertaken at that time. And, and so I knew about that. I had met Derek uh, around like 2010, like kind of in the midst of that, or maybe 2011 and um, him and I became good friends and, and, and kind of uh, casual friends there over the course of the years. And then, uh, Joe had asked me, it was Space Bastards when we kind of decided to dip our toes back in, but in the comic format around 2014 or so, he had asked me if there was any uh, artist that I would want to work with on that. 
um, to really try and elevate this. And, and I think because of, I think because of um, how much I love Derek's work elsewhere and everything, Derek was kind of like my first pick. So um, I cajoled him. I like poked him and, and asked and asked and asked over a series of, I don't know how long. And, and uh, eventually we were, we were able to do it. And, and um, yeah, and I'm super thankful for it because I, it really did elevate space bastards to what it is today. And, and, uh, taught me a lot as well about kind of the, the process more and, and, and he's just wonderful to work with. It's just been really great uh, having him involved. I'm, I'm curious about how these uh, ways of poking or enticing might've developed. Was it something where you two would see him approaching and pretend to have a conversation of me? Oh, we were just talking about the idea, how we've really got this like nailed down and, you probably don't want to hear about it, but you know, we, we, we could talk about, you know, whatever, or did you just sort of directly like, Hey, space bastards. Seth, it was, it was like clumsily seducing a woman. It was, it was like, we, 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 we approached him and we're like, you want to draw a book? And he's like, God, no, I don't have time. And then would you draw a cover on the book? You know, and we'd have a few drinks and he, then he, he agreed to doing some cover. When we finally got him to agree to do some covers, and he got to draw some of the characters. The first character he drew was we, we drew Davy and Manicorn initially, and he um, based on some earlier designs that that Gabo had done, and uh, and then he drew he drew three covers, and he's like, "That's it," you know. And um, but we could tell he was enjoying it. I, I think I think he liked it. And I think it was it was a nice break from some of the other stuff he was doing at the time, and. Um, and then we 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 got the right opening, the right opportunity. The timing was right. And we just sort of jumped on it, and um, and he, um, yeah, it was, it was we were very lucky, uh, you know, after that point. And he um, he just he sprang in there and um, you know got really got knee deep in it and wanted to wanted to help co-create it and and um, you know helped us with um, you know with the whole establishing the whole look of the galaxy and redesigning some of the characters and he did a great job. And he was very generous and patient with us, which. Uh, which is which was great, with, with the experience he had at that point, you know, relative to ours, it was amazing. You know, I appreciate that you put it in terms I can understand. Clumsy seduction <laughs> is the only form that I can relate to. If you had been like we were smooth and suave, I'd be like, I yeah. I, I thought it was pronounced suave. What are you talking about? Like, how do I even? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and I love the fact that, you know, a cover, a cover, a cover, you know, it, it is sort of like clumsily trying to get someone interested in you. It's like, you just sort of show up and show up and I'm not that bad. I'm kind of nice and see, now you can't live without me. Right. Or, you know, hope. Um, I, I, I love think, also, I, yeah. I think even with like other artists, I think that's always been my pickup line is, you know, you're, I, I you're probably going to say no, but I have to ask. I think that's pretty much how it started with like virtually everybody, you know. <laughs> and we, we always get the no. We always get the no. We get the, the, the yeah. highest the, no. And I love uh, the post, you just the keep working on it. You just keep working. You know, you don't give up. Yeah, I like the persistence, um, and it, in my opinion, pays off because as I was reading through Space Bastards. First, you know, I'm, I'm loving the fact that I got this great PR and I'm, I'm you know, just reading through it, having fun. I pause because the first thing that I think I really want to key into, which is an idea uh, either one of you can explain more, the Intergalactic Postal Service. And it's somewhat bounty hunter feel, not not similar to what, you know, we might be familiar with, with, say, 
the USPS or something like that. Uh, how much was this uh, a beginning of the story? And also when you're, you know, describing it, <laughs> how outlandish is it compared to what the introduction I've seen so far? Because the concept is it's for the desperate, it's for the down and out, it's for the dangerous, it's, it's for a select group of people if you're going to join this intergalactic postal service. Yeah, um, there's a lot there to unpack. Where should I start? First start with uh, how much was it a key to Space Bastards? Because was it David Proton or Davy Proton and then, you know, the uh, the concept of the Intergalactic Postal Service came into play? Or was yeah, it the that, Postal that, Service that birthed the, uh, the characters? Yeah, that, that, that's really when I, I got involved was when, uh, you know, he would, Eric would bring up the Davy Proton and he worked for the Intergalactic Postal Service. But when we, we had a conversation, we kind of hashed out these three rules and that was sort of the, the kind of the bounty hunter rules of it where you you know the person that delivers the package gets paid they can interfere with each other to intercept packages you know that's that's fair game and they can use any means necessary to do that and then the more times the package changes hands the, the higher the value of the delivery and once we had that 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 really enticed me because I, I feel like that's the engine that makes the whole thing go and that that was a that was a that was a milestone in the evolution of the of the of the project but and you, what you were saying, you know, it's funny, you know, you, you, you got, you picked up on something there with these, with these guys working, you know, initially we figured something like this would just appeal to ex-military or, or um, convicts, you know, people who are really desperate. And, and they, the, the point of the, uh, of the book and some of, the, some of what you see as it goes on is that, that people from all walks of life, because of the desperate economic conditions or things they've lost or, or you know, they just disadvantages, you know, they, they're from some backwater shithole planet or they they just don't have the same advantages that other people have they have to join the service that they have to and they have to compete with these you know seasoned mercenaries or these killers and they have to either you know they have to survive or, or you know and thrive or die and so you have guys from all walks of life in, in there now you know these are accountants and and real estate agents and former you know um uh Space pirates and uh, you know administrative assistants and you know anybody that's that's lost their job down on their luck, um, they end up there uh, if they want to just for the idea the ability to to earn big money and survive. So maybe introduce if you would who is for people who haven't had a chance to read the copy I have uh, who is Davy Proton who was he from the films and who is he now in the uh, in, in this comic book story that I'm lucky enough to read and hoping others will get a chance to experience as well. And how does, how does he fit into the intergalactic postal service and the story of space bastards? I think, I mean, in terms of the films, Davey, the thing that Davey always had was kind of rooted in what I was going through in my, my like late teens, early twenties, which was, um, I was working like a really kind of big daddy job and I was like sleeping under my desk, like twice a week and like underpaid and, kind of constantly fearing that I would lose my job. And if I did, I didn't have any savings or anything. I was living paycheck to paycheck, but I was trying to make it work. And I, I just kind of felt like, you know, it was like those moments out of the nest, you know, and, and, and like feeling like, is this what everybody does? And like, this is my life. Like, this is the way it's going to be for like the rest of my life. And, and then that sort of like, you got to grow up and, and kind of, 
figure that out and figure out balance and all that stuff. But Davey in the films was kind of born out of that. A guy who had him because I wanted him to be some form of like a smuggler. It was like Davey has to move packages or something from planet A to planet B in every episode. All right. Well, then, yeah, it makes sense. He would be a member of the Postal Service. And he, and he probably his job has to be really dangerous and 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 uh, and, and he has to not like it. And then I think from there, obviously, the evolution evolution of the Postal Service came in in terms of the rules and everything else. In terms of how he is in the series, like in the comic book, um, yeah, I mean, he has a really bad day. <laughs> he's, a, he's a pretty, I think he's a pretty uh, high work ethic kind of guy. I think, he's, I think he's reliable. I think he does what his man, what management asks of him and everything, and then there's that time that that doesn't really pay off and he's done everything that he was supposed to do and doesn't really work out. And he has to he, he a, a string of scenarios happens where he really is kind of like put in a situation where he just doesn't know what he's going to do. And the joining the intergalactic postal service entices him. Um, and then very quickly, he has to realize that even though the intergalactic postal service offers a larger, a large um, reward, uh, you know, and a lot of freedom, more freedom than your average job. Uh, there is definitely a cost and, and not everybody can kind of make it through that first day and everything. So, yeah. I mean, he's, he's our every man and we, we, we picked him, you know, for this first story to, 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 because we thought he would be the most accessible to the readers. He's got a regular job, you know, he's an accountant, he works in an office, he's fired, you know, for no reason. And he has no, options you know to make money and he's he's hurting and uh he just enlists in this really crazy uh job like like an uber job where the other uber drivers can shoot at you and uh you know and then the question is you know does he does the job eat him you know does it does it completely destroy him or does is there other parts of it that he can enjoy there are the parts of it are the ways that he can use his skill set to survive you know and uh that's 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 where we go with that Eric, I, I appreciated the way you brought up the idea of that that shock that occurs when you're in that you know career job that that yeah. job where everyone's talking about your career and this is your career and that sense of man, I feel like I'm risking everything I have just to keep this thing going and all it takes is one misstep, you know, one false move and suddenly I don't know where I'd be or what I would do. And I, I love that you've kind of taken us down the rabbit hole a, a bit. You guys have both sort of explored, like, what happens when the guy who did everything that was asked of him has a bad day and we figure out just how stretched out he is and then just how desperate or what kind of risks he's willing to take when, when put in that situation. And uh, I think it's a feeling that anyone in their early 20s or at any point in their life when they're really on their own can relate to because – too many times, man, I can remember the job where I was just like, okay, why am I doing this again? Just somebody explain why I put myself in this situation, or more importantly, why am I continuing? And either we make a choice or the choice is made for us. Davey has the choice made for him. And because of that, we get a chance to talk about another great character from this, which is the at least spokesperson for the Intergalactic Postal Service, if not the founder and by that, I'm talking about Mr. Roy Sharpton, who, when I was making notes, I said, the founder who looks like a burnout. So that was my first impression. And <laughs> I was curious to go ahead and get your feedback on 
was he always a part of Davy's world? Was he part of the process? And who wants to take the first swing at this? Because there, there's some splaining to do, um, especially who is Roy Sharpton? Because I only tease people. And now they're like, who's the burnout? Who started the company this poor guy works for? I'm going to make sure that Eric starts at the right point because we, there was a version of Roy Sharpton in the in the, the films we made, but um, we, we we made a couple of changes and and uh, and to be fair, you're, you're going to you find out a lot more about Roy very 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 soon if you continue to follow the series. But I'll let Eric take the question. Yeah, I'll be sure. There's stuff. That, it's very easy for me to spoil stuff if I start diving deep into Roy in the comics. So I'll just kind of give some like fun trivia sort of about him and, and where he came from, and then. Also, to how uh, we relate to him, and, and um, I love Roy, <laughs> but I'm also I'm also biased. I played him in the films. Um, he's a lot of fun. Originally, I think he was more kind of like a Ron Burgundy ish person. Whereas, I mean, over the years, and especially with Derek's involvement as co-creator with the comic, he's kind of turned into more of like I don't know, more of almost like a Charlie Day, the entrepreneur, you know, like. Like if Charlie Day from Always Sunny did get a whole bunch of money, you might make the uh, might make the IPS. But um, yeah, and he and he did start like in a totally different capacity. But and and we just mostly was kind of just comic relief. But I think I, I think really when we created the foundation of the IPS and the rules and all that stuff that still holds up today, that was really where he became the Postmaster General. Um, yeah, I don't know. Roy is Roy's cathartic for me. I I was uh, I ran a company for a while in my twenties, and and um, you know I didn't know how to do anything, so I was the guy that like I had a million ideas a minute, but never any exit strategy, and and certainly like stressful to work for, and and um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how, how to say it. So writing Roy for me is always very cathartic because I, I get to write like the. Worst but best CEO ever. I, I don't know how else to put that. Um, Joe, you want to take it from here? I, I'm worried. I don't, I don't want to go into details <laughs> yeah, I mean, here. I mean, Hand up. Just more concretely, uh, you know, Roy. Um, he, you know, he's selfish and probably racist and misogynistic and all that. But he, and, and you know, he's had a number of failed businesses in the past, which we learn more about later on. And he, he. Um, He's the guy that came up with the the, the, the model, the, the the you know the actual model of the um, intergalactic postal service and how it works, and um, he and he takes credit for all of its successes, and he um, takes you know blames other other people for its failures uh, when when the time comes, and um, uh, you know he looks out for himself, and um, you would not want to work for him, but you uh, but. You know, you wouldn't want to work closely with him. You wouldn't want to be his assistant. You wouldn't want to be his uh, his uh, uh, barber. You know, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be around that guy. But you'd love to have a beer with him. You know what I mean? It's a, he's he's a complicated guy. Yeah. And um, we we were able to find um, we were able to find his character and kind of find his role in the story. And I think I think there are there are there, there, he's he's hard to um, appreciate. But I think uh, I think we cracked that. I think at some point down the line, uh, people will will see what makes him tick, and will um, feel something for him. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> real well, thing. Yeah, Eric. Now you said this might have been you know based on you know experiences you had. I'm not going to say which parts of those Joe referenced that you know were taken directly from your life. <laughs> no, almost uh, none of them. No, I wanted to clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I, I, I guess, <laughs> but I, I think there, the, the, what's the, the there, there's certain parts I think that for sure, like ju- that, that we definitely pull from, you know, I think leaping before you, uh, before you look stuff like that. I don't know. You know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I and say, I-, I will say this. If we have this conference, if we have another podcast, like, you know, later in the year, uh, after more issues are out or whatnot. I mean, he's one of those characters that I, I agree with Joe. I think that given some time, uh, depending on where you are in the story and everything, there's a lot of stuff to, like, unravel there and dive deeper on. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I think that's the great thing about a character like this is when they're first introduced, you're like, why would I ever care about this guy? And yeah. a great challenge then for you both writing him is to then say, well, let me show you why. Because... Just because we meet someone at a point in their life never means that that's who they've always been. And there's the the journey of how they got to where they are and the, who knows, consequences, tragedies they experienced along the way. It, exactly. it, it could turn uh, Roy's one of those characters that we feel the most for us by the time the series is over, right? Who knows? <laughs> uh, and I actually wasn't thinking as much about like the misogynistic or racist tones. I, I think I was going with the... Uh, the, the more relatable things for probably a lot of people when it comes to a boss, although those other parts might apply. But usually when you've got that boss that you have trouble with, it's the uh, the one who's willing to take responsibility for or take uh, recognition for all the things that go right and blame everyone else around them for the things that go wrong. And I was like, OK, you know, I, I've I've probably been guilty of that at some point in my life, too. I'm sure a lot of people have at some point. They're like, yeah, I didn't do that well or I worked for that person and. There's not a lot of joy there, but also how did that person get there and what are we going to learn about? I would love to have a follow-up conversation with you guys and and see just what else we've learned about Roy from this conversation into, say, I don't know, five or six issues down the road and and what else people can uncover. Now, he's not the only character that I also want to include in this conversation. There's also a gentleman by the name, well, perhaps gentleman is a broad stretch of the word. But a figure, <laughs> a character by the name of Manny Kors. And I was wondering uh, where his development came into. Did someone play him in the films? Was he <laughs> written a comment? <laughs> Are we missing someone who should be giving us some backstory here? Or tell me about Manny Kors and how it was decided that he was uh, maybe, uh, what's the best comparison I can think of at the moment? Like a Denzel Washington on training day sort of character. Like, ah. Let me let me explain to you how things work here. But um, tell me about Manny. Whoever wants to start first, no pressure. I haven't heard the uh, the Denzel reference before, but it makes sense. Um, just came to me. No, yeah. no, I'm yeah. not that smart. I'm just talking. <laughs> no, um, all right. So the thing with Manny, um, Joe. I mean, I, I, I'm safe probably to do the whole enchilada, right? Like, yeah. Uh, all right. So there's a guy, there's a, actually a comedian, um, an independent comedian uh, named Kevin O'Day, who uh, I worked with, I think, right around the time we were doing the last Space Masters movie or whatever. And Kevin is so unique. And part of his part of his comedy routine was that he would have, like, Crisco in his hair. So he'd be wearing a hat with, like, this ponytail out the back. And then he'd be like, yeah, people call me the manicorn. And he'd take off his hat and, like, the thing would just kind of, like, wing. You know, and he'd have that like one single spike of hair. So there's some look stuff there, but uh, even though obviously Manicorn Derek's uh, uh, creation, uh, you know, there Manicorn does not have hair there. It's like a horn, you know. But um, 
the funny thing about Kevin was that um, I'll just I think I can sum up Kevin with like one story. Well, two things. One, he has never visited my house ever without breaking something that I own. <laughs> That's one thing. <laughs> and I don't mean like small things. I hung up a punching bag, like a full punching bag in my backyard. And he took it out with like his whole body, the, like within minutes of showing up in my house once. And, and it was just like, sorry, man. Hey, sorry. Like, not <laughs> like I need to go buy you a new one or whatever. The, 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 but I, I think the best thing, my, my favorite anecdote about it was like, Black Monday it hit like in 2000 whatever that was 2008 when the stock market the the housing crisis and all that and uh, asking him I was like you know dude do you think this is it do you think this is the downfall of American civilization and Kevin goes like like a grandpa or something he's like you know I wish man but sadly no I don't think this is it and and he talked as if he's just waiting for like that day where he can put on like his leather chaps, grab like a sawed off shotgun, get in some like dune buggy and just be king of the road. And like, finally it's like time for him to like saddle up with Lord humongous or whatever. And like, like it's his era. Like he is so, he's so out of place in modern society versus this other thing that he would just be a king of. And and anyways, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's Kevin. So. <laughs> he, 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 we, we, we couldn't, we didn't know, we didn't have the relationship between Davy Proton and, and, and Manicorn figured out, uh, but it, 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 it would crystallize one time while we were filming and this, we had a guy playing Davy and we had Kevin playing and he, and, and at that point, Manicorn was just a angry, you know, belligerent postal worker. And there was one point where, where we said like, hey, we asked Kevin, we're like, Kevin, um, do, do, do you know uh, do you know what you're doing here? Do you know what you, do you know who your character is? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm Manny or whatever. And then and we're saying, yeah, but you know your motivation. He goes, yeah, I fucking hate Davy Proton. And <laughs> and we had never, I mean, and I, what Kevin was saying was he hated the guy that was playing Davy Proton. He hated that we were focused on Davy Proton. He hated that you know, and 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 at that moment, Eric and I looked at each other, and it was like, you know. Simple. That's all. That's all we need to do. That's that's all we need to do is just have these two guys, uh, mortal enemies, and it's gonna work. It's gonna work perfect. Yeah. And I like that he just could have broke it down really simply. I just hate the guy. He like, could, well, yeah, I, I I fucking hate David Proton. I want to kill him. You know, it's just, <laughs> just like that. And we're you know we you know they were like sitting down and having a drink. It was like a regular scene. They weren't, you know, in conflict. And we were like, what the fuck? It came from out of nowhere. Um, but, but no, it was illuminating. It was illuminating for us. It, it, it fixed it because it was so funny. And we thought that's, that's it. You know, why? And, you know, that, that informed everything. That, 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 that took us down the road and gave us what we needed for the, for the comic later. I think so, it was that mixed with also the Repo Man thing. Like, um, Oh, nice. Like then kind of, I forget when, but at some point Joe and I were watching it and it was just like that whole thing when they actually take him out to show him around and explain, like show him the ropes and everything. And he does that one comment about like, you know, most people spend their time trying to get themselves out of uncomfortable situations. Repo Man is spending his entire time trying to get himself into uncomfortable situations or, or whatnot. <laughs> and, and I think that mixed with like Kevin and, and kind of all that stuff that we saw from filming or whatever was like, oh, like, like you said, training day or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that, that scenario where... Imagine that larger than life guy, you know, and you got to like, you know, that's the dude you got to impress or beat that day, you know. 
Um, is Kevin aware of how he is being portrayed as Manny in the comic? Is he like, you know, considering changing his style, maybe even getting one of those augmentations people do now, the skin thing, oh, yeah. the horn, like this, does he like, you know, is he aware of all of this and how has it impacted him? Or is he just sort of like uh-huh. too busy tearing stuff up uh, literally? He's out, he's out in California now, still doing stand-up comedy. Uh, in case anybody wants to go see him, and uh, he's he's marvelous. And um, I reached out to him like a, I don't know, maybe like a month or two ago, just to kind of like say hi and let him know what was happening or whatever. And I did tell him, I did say, you know, Kevin, every day you look like you're cosplaying as this comic book character. It's weird, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I, I actually did text him today. I kind of just wanted to let him know that, like, hey, it's on stands and all that stuff. If he wants to go check it out and. Um, he's actually, you can see him in the issue. He's, he's in there as an Easter egg as well. So, um, yeah. Folks just take that to heart and, and know that when you get this issue, which I'm just going to say you should, cause I read it and I loved it and it's that easy, but, uh, look for these. I'm going to go back now and, and go ahead and have a little fun finding Kevin in the issue and then, you know, see if he's got any dates close by. I live in California myself. Um, and I'm up in the, the Bay Area, as it's called. Um, okay. And sure, maybe if there's a good story behind it, I can convince a, a couple other people. I mean, once you've done it as a kid, like in your 20s, like suddenly L.A. becomes that like thing where you're like, oh, yeah, I do it in like three and a half hours. And it's like, really? You know what I mean? Like everyone who starts to do it after a while, it's like that thing. They're like, oh, yeah, down the five. And then just hop on the 405 and everything's great. <clears throat> you can just really... <laughs> You can make it a really fun adventure. So uh, I'll I'll check out his dates, and should I find any more? Who knows? Maybe on that future episode we can get Kevin. Oh, (laughs) great. Oh, God, it's great if we can get him on here. Yeah, it would be amazing. Yeah. Um, So I've covered a few things that stuck out for me, but I also want to keep in mind the fact that I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. Never have been, never will be. Uh, and, and when I keep that in mind, I'm going to miss things. So along the way, I've pointed out Davey Proton, Manny Corns, Roy Sharpton. Who am I missing? Who is someone else that is in play in this universe? Because I do know that there is also a nemesis that we sort of, you know, get a sense of towards the end of the book. Someone who's in competition with Roy uh, in regards to uh, power and negotiations. But is there anyone else I, I might not have included that you're like, Hey, you did good, but guy, you missed some stuff. Let's make sure that, you know, folks know a few other things along the way. Especially when it comes to characters. I would I would say no. I mean, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I'll say this is that you're actually the first person to bring up Roy, which is um wonderful. So as well. So uh, All right. he's not in it. He's not in it really for very long, I think, in this issue. So but he is a he's he's a pretty important character. He's real important. That's what, yeah, it's a good catch, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know, uh broccoli. Um, <laughs> apparently that and fish are brain food. So I'm just going to keep it going and maybe I will, who knows, get smarter. But what stuck for me was that you did something really valuable and I've seen it done in great projects where you show how someone looks to people as a public figure and then you show us the actual person. And there's always a big difference, not only in motivation, but intention. And then usually that's when you get the sort of hint of a secret, you know, that feeling of, this is the guy who's in front of the camera and there's always going to be a presentation. And then this is the guy who's behind the camera. This is the actual person. And I love those two appearances because one, he's larger than life. And then two, 
he's still larger than life, but he's also got that vulnerability that that you know there's there's a tenuous hold on some things and secrets and other things behind Roy. Um, so I, I really love those possibilities. Uh, for me, they they really stuck out as to great ways to engage with Roy and uh, for me to to show the reader like hey. You know, there's there's who uh, Davey met and who's presented to all these members of the uh, IPS. And then there's also this other story. And I think that's actually what makes it easy for me to see that great connection you're talking about. How did Roy get here? And what are we going to learn five or six issues from now that's going to really make that final couple of pages so poignant? <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> really well said. That's a that's a fantastic analysis, and we I mean it wasn't it wasn't deliberate on our part, but I mean that's 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 um, uh, yeah that's a that's I mean it's deliberate to portray him differently, but but um, th that's a good point. That's a really good way to show the contrast or really show something about a character. It's a yeah that's that's a good call, man. Right. My pleasure, man. I love hanging yeah. out with great writers. Uh, I love writing. It's it's fun to be able to do more than just bury your head in your craft, waiting for some form of financial or public recognition. So when you get a chance to just engage with other writers and say, hey, you did something and now I got a chance to read it and we get a chance to have a great conversation about it. it it's like we still get to go back to all those great writing workshops or groups that you had when you were you know, first putting out ideas and there's great energy. So for me, this is just a lot of fun because Half of what I'm coming up with, I'm feeding off of you guys, you know, and then it's just a jam session. Someone's going to start snapping their fingers and <laughs> it'll get a little bit poetry for us. Um, so another thing that I wanted to sort of like maybe talk about was you, know, you, you pointed out something I think that was really valuable with the concept of world building and how, you know, you were developing ideas. But when Derek came on, you started to... Uh, change make some changes and i was curious what your experience is with uh, especially with the idea of building this whole world on your own and then what changes you made or uh how things might have developed as you added derek into the project you want to jump into that uh i i um yeah i mean we kind of we didn't really uh, we had like an almost bible like an almost universe bible and so i mean i think when we started with derek there were certainly things especially during the the first few issues we did with him where it was kind of like, hey, carte blanche, except we want to make sure that we don't trespass on X, Y, and Z because we don't want to contradict stuff that's coming down the road or or technology there that maybe we know we need to play a role, you know, it plays a role in the story later or, or characters or whatnot. Otherwise, it was kind of like, we want to see what you can come up with. And then to be honest, I, I think there's even like some gray area there where it was kind of like stuff we would see, uh, weaponry, whatever. Um, we would kind of be like, okay, cool. Like now this is a thing and we need to kind of build that into our, our setting Bible or our universe building Bible as it were, you know? Um, the other thing too, it was kind of neat. I mean, it's not that prevalent in the series, but there are a few moments where like Derek saw props from the movies and then like rendered them on the comic book page, which is like crazy surreal for me considering that stuff was so long ago. And it was really kind of a cool moment for me, but yeah. Any that readers can look out for? When Not in this issue. Those... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, to come, for sure. <laughs> I'll, add, I'll add to the world building just a little bit. I mean, Derek sure. you know, is so detailed with, 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 his, uh, with the artwork and the backgrounds and everything. There are a lot of times we, 
and as he was working on, you know, we, we were mainly focused on the, on the main story arc, you know, for, for his issues. And as that was, as that was progressing, you know, we were getting such detailed um, work and, and, and there were, like Eric was saying, there's, you know, the technology or, or maybe a character or two or somebody in the background and uh, got to thinking about that. And we, we, we approached other artists to, to do um, some other stories and kind of focus more intently on, on, a, on, one character or another or maybe a more minor character or something in the past or something in the future and and kind of explore some of these subdivisions and when we did that uh, you know a lot of that rift off of stuff derek had done when we did that we really got that's when it became less focused on just this one story and more of a living breathing universe you know with with other artists perspectives and kind of the uh, the the uh, postal service rules you, you can just generate stuff um, very easily, and uh, we got a lot of good material out of that. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've enjoyed when I've heard discussions with uh, writers or artists about how sometimes a writer will propose something, and then the artist will try and visualize it. And along the way, there can be this great discovery of what the original goal was, what a picture suggests, and then how that can be part of a, a back and forth conversation between the the writer and the artist. So uh, it sounds like you know those details that you're describing were really helpful in just fleshing yeah. out. Uh, this world and also maybe you know um, seeing where the heartbeat was at, at times just you know what makes this engine move what what is the whole idea so that brings me around to a question that was something I was going to lead off with and then I sort of buried for a little bit now I want to uh, talk about which was the idea of how a uh, delivery can accrue value and also whether or not either of you have a fixation with the children's game hot potato <laughs> and uh, I could go into more, but simply put, you know, there's this concept of how it accrues value. And as soon as I saw the first kind of pond uh, skipping stone sort of exchange going on with the value of a parcel, I went, that's ingenious. And for me, that was one of the little engines of this story that we're like just moving it along was this concept of accruing value, but also of watching it go from each attempted deliverer to the next. And then I instantly was just like, did someone like hot potato? Did, did someone enjoy the idea of the bobbling effect that, that sort of like just keeps us on our toes? And I'll let either of you come at that, you know, sort of almost question that I came up with first or, or i can pick one Yeah, you know, maybe maybe like uh kill the man with the ball or um you know where you would just throw the football and the guy catches it and everybody just tackles that guy somebody gets it and really the only reason to carry the ball is to get tackled by other people <laughs> i mean it had no point to it remember that playing that oh and, yeah um or or on video games you know to capture the flag you know you're playing an unreal tournament and there's just a glut of people in there you know this is a few years ago i'm sure but you know you got the flag and 80 people die just trying to get the flag, just trying to move the fa flag just a, you know, a couple more inches. That that's, that's, uh, you know, that's the, but what is that? That's hot potato. Really? You're right. <laughs> it was my first association. You know, it was just that funny feeling. And as, as I was watching everyone doing that, I was like, hot potato. Ah. <laughs> uh, did is that something you guys stumbled on together? The idea of like, you know, what would it look like to watch this parcel change a bunch of hands and that that you know turn into this value that Manny and David soon become involved in sort of a who can get the object to the finish line 
you know, after all, everything it seems to accrue uh, first. I think the idea of the parcel transferred and the accruing uh, value uh, goes as far back as maybe the last Space Vessels film. I mean, it goes back to about like the genesis of Manicorn. But like um, in terms of the impact it would have on the consumer and kind of some of the more literal side effects of that, <laughs> that's actually pretty recent. I mean, that's that's kind of from when we first started working on this uh, on this series with Derek, for sure. It was a great visual and it was a lot of fun to just, I mean, from moment to moment and panel to panel, you, you raise the stakes. I mean, sometimes you're doing it with dialogue and sometimes you're, you know, creating it through different elements in a scene, but this just seemed to be this great idea of it gets, it gets harder, it gets harder. And you're suddenly watching going, okay, now here's the fun part. You've got the reader's attention and now they're asking the question that everyone wants to know. How's this going to end? Now, granted, for anybody listening, it's not my job to spoil things for people. You go out, you get the book, you know, join the series. Because uh, along the way, in order for Davey to become a contender, he makes what I felt was a really radical transformation uh, for me. Just watching who he was in the first couple of pages to that moment where he, you know, has had enough of having a bad day. And he's done taking whatever a bad day wants to dish out. And uh, I was curious, one, do you guys know an accountant? Have either of you ever been an accountant where, like, the concept was to channel that inner frustration of what if you could calculate the most, you know, art, you know uh, exquisite strategy and then put it into play in a way that I feel like Davey, you know, impressively so, puts together in his, like what I felt was a really impressive character developed. We, you know, we wanted him to be underestimated. Uh, and I think an accountant, uh, I, was he ever anything besides an accountant? I'm trying to think he might've been. I, mean, I don't what, think so. No, I, I think, I think accountant was pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, we have to think back, understand that. I mean, uh, We've developed 15 of these issues so far, so Space Masters is not ending anytime soon. But another, like a side effect of that is that Joe and I do have to go back kind of in our brains whenever we're pulling <laughs> tidbits about issue one, you know. I completely understand. I, I know that I've had plenty of questions where someone's like, hey, how did this happen when you made this change in something? And I'm going, I'm going to have to get back to you. I'm sure at some point I will remember why I did that. But at some point, the color went from green to blue. And there's a reason. And I'm sure it sounds really great if I can just recall it. But uh, and I I completely understand also, like, you know, along the way, who knows how many revisions you've made? Who knows how many times you. It was essential that he had like a, a desk job, like an like a ordinary job, like kind of the old model where, you know, you're in a company for 15 years and you get they give you an ink pen. You know, it needed to be – so he needed to be in middle management like HR or accounting or something like that. Like we needed him somewhere in that position, and I think accounting was just something more we were, you know, passingly more familiar with than – you know, or that we thought the reader would be more familiar with. Um, I, I think that's how that – arose we never really argued about his his <laughs> original job yeah okay well i got great echoes of like wanted falling down um yeah yeah, and, falling, and yeah falling that's a good that's a good catch man hey thanks i th those were great like echoes that I, I felt myself like saying like okay i don't know if you guys are just picking up the rhythm from it or if you know 
but those were great examples that this really did a great job of referencing. So uh, it was a lot of fun for me to watch him have that breakdown. And then in the process, we, we get a chance to see just what he looks like as a contender, as someone who can give as good as he gets with someone like Manny. And he's like, I might not have the brawn, but I've got a brain and, you know, I can be kind of ruthless. And that was a that was a fun experience for me. So I was just, uh, you know, curious where his roots may may have been for different elements. Um, I love the fact that he's he's come from these projects that started and you were like, look, this isn't working on this platform. Let's try a different direction with this. How can we keep telling this story? And you did so in comics. And also, I love, Joe, how you mentioned that you could meet more closely your expectations what you guys had wanted to achieve with the films you didn't feel you were able to because of whatever limitations and how those limitations aren't the same when you're putting things on the uh comic book page probably a a question to maybe look for myself and any listener and reader looking ahead how has that broadened what your options or possibilities are for this character from when you saw the limitations of the film side to when you started putting him on the comic, you know, you've grown this universe, you've made it more realized. How much further is it possible now to take these characters, especially it sounds like you're 15 issues in where, you know, like uh, when we're looking at how far these guys might possibly go, is the sky the limit? Is there uh, something to, to consider that will always sort of keep them within a certain area or are these guys just starting out and in the process we've uh we've got a lot to discover well so i think in general with space bastards kind of the thing is expect the story to go in directions that you wouldn't at first expect or or um really anticipate and then it's not for nothing there's typically Joe and I are fans of our own book. I mean, we, we try to write it in a way where we're kind of like, okay, this part's actually like a left turn that surprises us, but we ultimately get to a place where all of a sudden we realize why we took that turn. And um, the reason I say that is because Space Bastards, I think, definitely issue by issue, I think we're peeling back layers of an onion or or exploring more of like a glacier or something or, you know, an, ice, an iceberg. And, and it's definitely an ensemble cast. Um, there's characters that, you see hints of and stuff in issue one, but I, I think in future issues, you know, it, it goes in kind of, uh, you know, multiple different directions. We do have, you know, we, we, we have issue one out right now, but at the same time we have these director's cut hardcovers we do that also explore, um, they're, they're like over 130 pages and they kind of explore other settings within the universe and, and added cast members and stuff. And, and actually volume two, goes live on Monday the 18th, uh, two days from now, uh, when we're recording this. So um, Monday that happens. And, and those hardcovers are kind of like a shortcut to exploring kind of the more wacky structure that we have within Space Bastards. I mean, the story actually gets – there's multiple ways to actually read the story and experience it. And you get one way if you read the monthly periodicals. You kind of get another way if you read the hardcovers with us. Um, in terms of the ensemble cast, you also get introduced to them in different orders, stuff like that. So, yeah. That's huge. Actually, that allows me to point out that we're recording on Saturday. My goal, if I can pull it off, is to get this edited and and ready to go on Monday. Maybe if you wouldn't mind just telling folks a little bit about this this Kickstarter. So if they're listening and it's Monday and they want to just click over and 
and find out more. You, you've hinted at these books. What, what else is involved with this Kickstarter plan? What, what can people uh, consider if they want to check it out? Joe, do you want to jump on that one? The, the, so the, you know, the, we, most people are going to read this book, you know, as published by humanoids. It, you know, the issues are going to come out, um, you know, one at a time, monthly. And uh, but but some people and and hopefully your listeners uh, you know will um, you know can go to Kickstarter or can find us at a convention or maybe maybe directly through our, well ultimately directly through our website uh, but initially by Kickstarter starting on Monday and by uh, premium format uh, oversized hardcover collected editions of Space Bastards and we we put one out on Kickstarter last year and it contained issue one. And some other material in a, in a in a in a certain reading order, and we consider this to be the ideal reading order. It is not the most commercially viable reading order. It's not something you know you can't change artists in the, you know from one month to the next uh, on the shelf in a comic book shop and expect people to buy in. But certain people who are fans of the series or fans of these other artists, uh, Simon Bisley, uh, Clint Langley, Colin McNeil, Boo Cook. They will, they'll know what we're trying to do, uh, and people who've already kind of read uh, maybe a couple of the monthlies might might want to experience the story, you know, kind of binge read it, or, um, or 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 kind of come at it from this other angle. We've uh, we've reassembled the the uh, parts of the story um, uh, in a kind of a different order um, and in a large premium format, um, uh, provided in a uh, 130 page uh, volume, and we have we'll have volume one. And we have just now printed, and uh, we have Volume 2 ready. And so people that pledge can get Volume 2, those that already have Volume 1. Uh, and Volume 2 is accessible. You know, you don't have to have read Volume 1 to read Volume 2. And, uh, or, or you can buy Volume 1 and, and check that out. These, are, these will be $30, and uh, they're about 130 pages. And um, they're directly from us, and they, they, uh, we pay our artists in advance. And so this is the way to directly support the book continuing um this is the way that we are able to make more of these and you know get get it to our publisher so that our publisher can release it that way release it internationally and you know and and in this uh, you know single issue a month format and then we do the um collected editions the director's cut the, the mixtape version um for anyone who's interested if i was so, like yeah, i encourage you on on monday you, on the 18th you you, you at least you at least got to go to the Kickstarters, you know, search for Space Bastards on Kickstarter and and watch our video for volume two. Yeah, we got we got a great video for everybody. It's going to explain a lot of things. It's going to it's going to be going to clarify a lot of uh, a lot of questions that people keep getting asked. The uh, there's also I will put a banner up on SpaceBastards.com on, on Monday the 18th as well in case people want to navigate there that way as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I think the, the, the best way to kind of decipher because it is kind of a unique thing we're doing in terms of the monthly releases, but then also to these hardcovers that kind of run alongside it. And the, the way I look at it is kind of like, if I was like Quentin Tarantino or something and like Joe and I had like, you know, 15 years of space bastards under our belt or something. And we were able to like tell a story as crazy as we wanted to in a, in a crazy order and like, kind of like our, our unique uh, way or whatever. It's kind of what we would be doing with these hardcovers, but it's not really one of the, <laughs> I think anybody would basically look at that and be like, yeah, but like in comic shops and stuff, like how is somebody expected to actually get that every single month and like keep track of everything and, and, and whatnot, like the consumption model is just different. And that's, that's the big difference is that I think 
if you read it monthly, you get certainly, I think, a, a really good experience one way. And then if you were to buy the hardcovers, uh, you would get, uh, you would end up at the same destination, but you would have a different experience. It's one of those things where you could have like some sort of, not like a fight club, but you could have some sort of room where you put those two people in a room and just have them talk and debate. And I think they would come up with some pretty interesting things. I like the Fight Club reference because that was another movie I felt you guys were channeling a little bit in this one. And when we got into Falling Down, Fight Club just got dropped off for a second there. But but thank you. I think you both did a great job of explaining because I'm sure as people are listening, they're like, wait, wait, yeah, <laughs> hold on. Monthly, but the collector will be out on my, but then it'll still be coming month. So do I get it? And I think the fact is we're letting them know there's a couple of different ways they can approach this. And as a reader... What appeals to you most? Do you want to get the monthly experience? Do you want to go ahead and get this collected edition that gives you more, but also takes you on a different journey? And because of all the different structure of that, it, you, you have basically two different ways to enjoy the material. And potentially, I mean, because these guys, I definitely think, won't complain should you choose to pick up both. And uh, should, you, should you do so, you've got the collected, which is one way to read it. And then you'll have the monthlies, which is another way to read it. And who knows what else you could discover through uh, putting both of those in your collection? Right? I think if somebody were to read the monthlies and the hardcover, I, I'm I'm worried about them. I think they're like they would have like the all-seeing eye on like all angles of the universe at all times or whatever. And they'd either become like omnipotent or they would just become a raving lunatic. So I do want to be clear: <laughs> if you go that route, we're not responsible for your mental health. On the other end of that, though, I will say that like you'll have a you would have a crazy killer experience. I mean, it would be It'd be awesome to read both at the same time. Both do have exclusives, by the way, as well. The, the, we make sure all the single issues as well have something really valuable that's that's unique to them, separate from the hardcovers as well. And and they collected our our versions. You know, we're selling on Kickstarter. I mean, it's a limited edition. It's not going to be every for everybody, but it's going to be for certain kind of people. You know, you know, and and yeah, the debate is going to be like watching the Star Wars movies in release order versus watching them, you know, in, in some other order you hear about that or watching a Netflix series after they've all been released and just binge watching it or watching it in a, in a, in a predictable, you know, in a certain order, uh, you know, one, one episode at a time. It's um, it's that you're going to end up in the same place either way, but we, we'd like for people to at least check it out and see what, see if the, if it intrigues them. I agree. I mean, I, I think the great thing is, you know, along the way, if you've ever read a great story and then heard it retold by someone else or retold by the same creator and, and introduce you to all of these ideas that you're like, I, I, I'm not going to choose between which one I like better. I just get a chance to have two different experiences through the, the reading choice that I make, whether it's the collected or the monthlies. Um, you know, it reminds me right now, uh, Jeff Lemire's got a book, Sweet Tooth, The Return, where he's taking his Sweet Tooth character and bringing him back. But in the process, trying to tell a, you know, a really involved story about this idea. How do you talk about the same character, but in a different point in time? And, and along the way, how else is it possible? You guys are now taking this story and showing us what's possible monthly, giving exclusives and specifics, but then also saying, look, we know there's a readership. They're going to see this collected edition, recognize it for what it is. And they're going to value it for all the special qualities it invites them to enjoy. Like, yeah, I love the Choose Your Own Adventure books as a kid. And uh, <laughs> this sounds like, you know, they get a chance to, like, pick this book up and keep their thumb there while also getting, you know, the, the exactly. 
pretty awesome combination. Last question, if you don't mind, because I I also know uh, I have to let you get back to your lives. You might be hungry. You might have things to take care of. Um, when it comes to humanoids, I've been really impressed with the huge range of projects they've picked up. Things from Ignited to Maya to how did that relationship develop, develop if you wouldn't mind? Like, how was it, you know, uh, reached that you guys were publishing through humanoids? They, we, I think what originally attracted us to them was just the caliber of the content that they've been releasing and what they, what they've been making. And also to the history as well. Um, and then actually, when we actually got the opportunity to meet with them and, and chat and everything, it was pretty clear. It, it was, it, it was a unique experience in the fact that across the board, every single person in that meeting understood Space Bastards, like intimately, wow. like got what we were trying to do. Uh, understood the characters, understood kind of the theme work behind it. Not only that, but also understood the, the, this kind of the the other thing that we were talking about earlier in terms of kind of like our the big picture we're painting and how multiple releases can kind of like play into that and stuff. And and yeah, we just saw eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And then um, that was ultimately what made us kind of join up with them. And then actually getting a chance to work with them, both publisher Mark Wade, but also our editor Rob Levin and and, and a lot of other people there as well. It's been amazing. Like they've just been super helpful. Uh, one hugely valuable thing is that Joe and I don't feel like such an island unto ourselves anymore. Like mm. if there's ever anything that we would normally just be after the, for years and years and years, Joe and I would just be pinging each other and voting on it. Um, now it's like, oh no, we should ask Mark Wade or like Rob or somebody. You know, we should ask somebody who's actually got quite a lot more experience collectively than we do, or anything, you know, and all that. So yeah, it's been. Uh, we're super fortunate. It's worked out really, really well. If you look, if you, if, you know, if you look at the submission uh, guidelines for, and they're different for every publisher. If you look at what humanoids asks for, um, the information they ask for, when you, you know, it, it, it's not the standard pitch. They want to know about your characters. They want to know about the high concept, the genre, the, the questions that they, and the target audience. And a lot of them ask for that, but they, they really, they really made us um, refine our our submission and and discuss our characters and and the character arcs instead of just pl plot synopses or just sending in artwork. I mean, you know, I, I think that was um, you can you can kind of tell where their priorities are. I I don't there's not many publishers that have the type of um, you know, that have those submission guidelines. And I think that from the very beginning, when they're, when they enter, when they interface with a creator or writer, certainly they're, they're looking at what happens with the characters and what, what's important to the story. And it's, it's, it, it, it was a different level of interest than we got from, from other publishers. You know, I mean, everybody likes Derek and, and you know, and the idea is novel, perhaps you have mailmen killing each other, but, but these guys were, were keyed in on stuff, um, you know, different things from the very beginning. It's impressive. That's a really encouraging thing to hear from me as someone who's read their books and really been impressed with their history and their intention so many times with the market. Like there's a purpose behind telling these stories. And it sounds like uh, the process just of application helped you guys refine the story that you wanted to tell with Space Bastards uh, as far as like identifying these moments that they're asking you questions about and that you're sort of like, you know, now discussing with each other like, hey, we got that right or it, this is what we're going for let's clarify that and 
by the time you're done with your submittal, you're actually more uh, confident or resolved about the uh, the pitch that you're making and and what you know it's going to stand for, which Absolutely. actually uh, has to be the thing that I think that I take the most away from that. You know, they, yeah. Humanoids was really asking you guys, what is this project going to stand for? You know, what is its purpose? Um, that's a big question. <laughs> and even like, even like, yeah, like Joe said, like stuff about theme work or character-driven um, stories versus plot-driven stories, stuff like that. Wow. Um, I think for anyone who's looking to, you know, challenge themselves and, and push their project to, you know, those sort of goals when they're submitting would probably do well to check them out. I, I know it's going to want me to see what other titles I might have missed from them recently. I know Space Bastards is now among my list. And uh, guys, I, I really love the idea of having you both back on in five or six months after five or six of the monthly issues. Um, see what sort of conversation we can have about how well the collectives did, how the monthlies are developing. And, you know, maybe Kevin wants to come on the call. Maybe Derek, maybe Mark Wade's not busy. Who knows? But uh, along the way, whoever else you wanted to include with that, because I, I think it would be also fun to hear the, the perspective that joins yours about what this has been like, what the past so many months. But guys, thank you both for a great conversation about Space Bastards, for answering all my questions, for, I think, explaining to a lot of new potential readers what it is they should be picking up and how they can be a part of it starting Monday with the Kickstarter. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you Thank so, you much. so Conver much, man. Conversation is a two-way street. You're equally uh, uh, thanks from our end, man. It's been great. Thank you. It's a great oh, my pleasure. Hey, thank you. Hey, if anyone's out there and they want to catch up with you guys, you know, one of the great things is it's almost like starting a fire when people listen to a conversation like this. They're going to hear something amazing and say, I wonder if I could ask him a follow-up question on that. I wonder if I can reach out to these guys on social media or give them a shout when you know, I get a chance to read one of their books and, and send them some praise. Or are there any, you know, media platforms out there where you're publicly available and you'd like people to know what your uh, addresses are or how they can contact you? Joe, I'll start with you. We are on, we're on Twitter. I mean, that, that's what we've been paying most attention to recently with the, with the uh, marketing. Uh, so you can always uh, get on there and follow us and, you know, send us a message. I'll, I'll, I try to answer all that stuff. Uh, Spacebastards.com, I think there's an email link, is there not? And, and certainly through the Kickstarter, if you're following the project, uh, I, I believe um, you can you can send us messages there. Um, those would be the, at least in the next couple of weeks, would be the, the, uh, the <laughs> easiest way for us to see uh, um, your questions, and we'd be happy to answer them, yeah, or talk to yeah. you more about it or whatever. Yeah, Eric, same for you. Yeah, same thing. Roy Sharpton does have a little Facebook account as well as a Twitter account. But I, I think for ease of finding us, I would say look up the, the main Twitter account for Space Bastards, which is uh, space underscore bastards. But you can also find that easily if you just go to spacebastards.com. That's got all of the social media stuff on there. Perfect. I usually include liner notes with my episodes in which I'll try and include all of these addresses. And if there's any others, especially even Roy Sharpton, if you want to uh, email those links to me, guys. I'll make sure that they're posted in the uh, liner notes and, and see who wants to maybe ask Roy some questions, who's who's uh, <laughs> trying to get Roy to give him a week retreat or, uh, you know, a Facebook shout or however that works. I'm I'm well aware of the fact that there are probably people who might connect with him in that way, and I, I don't want to uh, discourage if possible. So, folks, all the ways I can share with you to get in touch with both uh, Joe and Eric, I, I guarantee they're going to be made available space bastards is available on its kickstarter platform come uh, monday 
Um, and in the meantime, you've also got a secondary experience you can consider with the monthly issues. So what road are you going to take? That's the fun part I'm, I'm interested in hearing about. Um, that concludes my great interview with uh, both Joe and Eric. Gentlemen, thank you again. It's been a genuine pleasure. Thank Thanks, you. Man. Yeah, hey, good night. And that brings us to the end of episode number 83 of Storytelling with Seth. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, and I really enjoyed sitting down with Eric Peterson and Joe Aubrey and learning so much more about Davy Proton, Manny Coors, uh, Roy Sharpton, the Intergalactic Postal Service, and the amazing way that a story could only sort of fit so well on one platform and then on another one, like comics, suddenly explode and not only achieve uh, great expectations, maybe even the impossible, but also widen the lens to potentially explore now so much more. Now, I love the fact that Joe and Eric have already created 15 issues and have so much more in store. And I hope that if you are as intrigued as I am by their Kickstarter plan, the opportunity to get 130 pages packed full of notes in a collected format and then compare that with this issue by issue, month by month process and experience the story in two different ways. If you do, I'd love to hear more about your thoughts because I'm going to have some of my own, but what I always love is a great story that I get to share with others. Now, you'll want to check the liner notes for all the ways that you can reach out to Joe and Eric. Should you have any questions, comments, anything else you would like to make contact with them. And they also mentioned that through the Kickstarter platform, you can always send them a quick message if that's the easiest way to go. You've also got spacebastards.com. And should you have any questions to follow up on this, either with them or with me, let us know. You can always find me out there on the wider web. Just type my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story into a search engine. And of course, if you'd like a direct route, well, go ahead and give me a quick shout on Twitter. I am the number one, more Singleton. Love to hear your thoughts. Love to hear your questions. And of course, if you have a story that you think should be on Storytelling with Seth, I'd love to hear more about it, how you can be a part of it, and how we can get it on here. In the meantime, thanks for listening to episode number 83, hanging out with this great, great writing team. And if you haven't, please make sure that you're subscribed to Storytelling with Seth. We're on all your favorite podcast platforms. And, uh, well, I don't want you to miss out. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Look forward to sharing another story with you here on Storytelling with Seth. I'll be here the next time you turn in.